When you do what you love, like running, like racing, like enjoying the great outdoors, you want to do it for life. Inside Tracker can help. Inside Tracker was founded in 2009 by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics. Using their patented algorithm, Inside Tracker analyzes your body's data to provide you with a clear picture of what's going on inside you and offer you science-backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes. Then, Inside Tracker tracks your progress every day, every step of the way toward reaching your performance goals and living a longer, healthier life. For a limited time, Fastest Known Time subscribers get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com/fkt. Happy springtime, everyone, at least for those of us in the northern states. Springtime is kind of a big deal. If you live in the southern states, maybe less so. But the person I'm speaking with right now, he's from Concord, Massachusetts. And just like Boulder, Colorado, I think he's ready for spring to arrive. Ben Thompson, good to talk with you. Is that correct? Are you ready for springtime? Absolutely ready for springtime. Quick correction, I'm in Medford, Massachusetts. Oh uh, my sorry, gosh. don't worry about that. It's it's not very far away. Indeed. Uh, well, thanks, Ben. Appreciate that. And uh yeah, I'm super excited for the spring. We've got some little sprouts growing in the garden. And one of the things we're gonna talk about is winter. We're gonna get that. We're gonna off that up as a little teaser here. Uh, and we're going to get into that because you did something in New Hampshire that we thought was very interesting, could kind of change how people approach FKTs. That's our little teaser. We're going to start off by talking about New England. Not enough people from New England are on the podcast. Well, all along, New England has been a hot FKT scene. It seems to me, correct me if I'm wrong, do you guys just really get after it or what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a mix of things. There are a lot. Of, there are a bunch of people who are just going for it on these mountain routes. I mean, they're the kind of terrain that we're looking at is just, uh, I think, pretty unique. From uh, at least on trail, you know, you get this kind of thing off trail in the West, but the on trail terrain in New Hampshire and Vermont, it's so rocky. Like, you know, straight up the fall line. It's uh, super cool stuff to be on. At the same time, it's super slow, even if you're going all out. You know, you look at like all out FKT paces, people go like nine minute miles downhill. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, I think like, I think people have been training specifically for these things, which is, you know, it's kind of cool to see somebody do, you know, three, four months of training specifically for an FKT, do a taper, like this is their event. It's not sort of the extra thing on the side. And I think that started happening a little bit four or five years ago and more so recently. And just, right. that's really dropped a lot of the times, made these things super competitive. Right. Uh, good point there, Ben. I think out West, there's so much space and so much open public land that people will go off on an adventure, do a new road, an OKT, as we sometimes joke, only known time. But New England's a little tighter. I mean, people have, the routes have been done. So you guys just go faster and faster. And I appreciate what you said about the technical nature of it. You know, it's, uh, they, you go up, there's no switchbacks because the trails out west were made for pack animals burrows and horses the trails in the east were made for people 
So they don't do switchbacks, do they? Yeah, well, there are actually some trails uh, that were made for pack animals, and even some of those just sort of go straight up. And I'm, <laughs> I wonder like how the animals did on that, you know, back in the 1800s and whatnot. But uh, yeah, a lot of these trails, they're sort of. I, I feel like the the designers of these trails were just sort of sitting there joking, like, uh, "Yeah, well, there's a waterfall there. Let's build a trail up it." <laughs> <laughs> there's a classic it's... spot on the the Pemi Loop, which is a a big route in New Hampshire, about 29 miles, um, where everybody's like, "Oh my God, is that really the trail? That's a waterfall." <laughs> I've been there, done that. The 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 Pemi. Pemijawasset loop. Wow, there's a section in there where you're using your hands. I mean, you you basically don't do it unless you use your hands for balance, and that's a major popular trail. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's sort of normal. I mean, there there are definitely easier trails. I would say that there there are a ton of different places to go explore: mountains, hills, woods. You know, you mentioned like maybe we're a little more constrained. The trail network in the Northeast is incredible. There's just so many places you can go. Um, I think that the way in which it is a little more constrained is that there's a lot less opportunity to sort of go, you know, where you see like going off trail. It's a thing, but for the most part, you're just sort of, if you want to do that, you're just pushing through trees and like, scratching right. your face up <laughs> if you're not on a, if you're not on a trail you're not you're not going very far yeah exactly i mean the the alpine terrain is very limited like we're going to talk about the prezi and that's sort of the the main example of just true like above tree line you can run for miles right well, you mentioned the pimmy a minute ago 29 miles you said and the fkt on it is six hours so that's it. I, uh, I think it's about five five twenty five now. Oh, it's come down. Well, your yeah. your time was six oh six at one point. Uh, that was, but that was like you say three and a half years ago. So it's come down even more since then. Yeah. So I ran in twenty seventeen six oh six. Twenty seventeen was sort of when I first started getting involved in these FKTs. That was. It was funny. I was. Uh, I've been running trails since like twenty ten or so. And, you know, slowly got a little faster, tried racing more, did a bunch of stuff. And somewhere in 2016 or 2017, I just went for it on one of these routes and realized like, oh, wait, I can actually compete on some of this. It wasn't, it was sort of totally unexpected. I was just trying to set a fast time. And since then, the times have gotten a lot faster, but I've also sort of been you know, ramping the training up a little bit at the same time. So it's sort of held steady where I can like compete a little bit, but uh, you know, I've never like at the top of the game, but uh, it's, it's still like, it's tempting. Cause it's like, Oh, that's that time's probably faster than I could run. But you know, maybe with like a solid, solid training block i would be able to go and tackle <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah in, the, in 2017 i ran the pemi in 606 and then uh patrick karen came came through uh and ran in 545 i believe 
sort of a year or two later. And then I ran it again in 542 last year. And then Jordan ran the 526 this last. Uh, okay. But see, this is, so the all out total effort. I mean, this, this is like you say, he's tapering. He's training on specifically for this route. He's doing it race style taper. And that's five and a half hours for a little more than a marathon. That's a tough marathon, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, uh, I think it's like 9,000 feet of gain and just the, the technicality is pretty awesome. I love it. Right. Yeah. I remember one section of the PIMI and I was watching people backpack it. I thought that looks dangerous. You know, I don't know a 40, I was running. And so, you know, you got your footing, you got your balance. It's okay. But with a 40 pound pack on your back, Ooh, you could, you could wrench your knee really easily on that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I think it is sort of the class, you know, the, uh, sort of front page, like three day backpacking route in, uh, in New Hampshire mm-hmm. gets a lot more attention because of that. I think it's, it's sort of in some ways a little overused right now. And there's just so much amazing terrain, like within 50 miles that gets ignored a little bit and that's fine. I mean, uh, I don't want to say that there's anything right or wrong about that, but if anybody wants to venture a little beyond the, the sort of big name routes, there's awesome stuff all around there. Well, that is often the case. So would you say my observation has always been the big three in New England has been, I think, the presidential traverse. Number two is the Pimajawasset loop. And is number three the hut to hut? So I think if you're focusing on New Hampshire, that's correct. I think if you broaden it a little bit to the Northeast, you might include the Great Range Traverse in the Adirondacks, mm. and potentially the Devil's Path in the Catskills. So, I mean, there there's sort of these pockets of mountains through the Northeast. There's the White Mountains in New Hampshire. You have this sort of ridge that goes down the spine of Vermont called the Green Mountains. Um, it actually sort of continues into Massachusetts, where it might be called the Berkshires. Then a little bit over into New York, you have this big pocket called the uh, Adirondacks. And then south of there, also in New York State, you have the Catskills. Um, and I think each of these areas has sort of an iconic route. And gotcha. like Adirondacks example is definitely the Great Range route, Great Great Range Traverse. I mean, that's Good. seen really competitive times also. It sort of pushed down slowly from six hours down to almost five hours. <laughs> like I said, the uh, New England folks get after it. They don't putz around. Uh, good work there. So going on, thanks for clarifying the, the Northeast. Going on to the Prezi. So this is called the Presidential Traverse because the mountains, generally speaking, are named after presidents. And the whole thing, went, except for the start and finish, is above timberline, which is kind of rare for a ridge line that stays above timberline back there. Although timberline is basically 4,000 feet in elevation. Yep. Uh, then you go over the top of Mount Washington, the highest in New England, which I recall being 6,288 feet. Wow, you which- are precisely on the money there. Oh, good. Good. Well, I first did the Prezi in 1969. So I've nice. been, gosh, that, I must have been like four or five years old at that time, I think. Uh, little joke there. 
And so it, uh, yeah, it's, it's got extreme heritage. It's a real classic. It's when you go over Mount Washington at 6288, you think, wow, gee, who cares? Yeah, well, you better care because that at one time recorded the third fastest wind speed in the ever recorded in the world. If I recollect, that was 234 miles an hour. So you can't mess with the Prezi, can you? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the thing about going above treeline in the White Mountains is that you just got to choose a good day. Like you don't plan to go up Mount Washington on, you know, the Saturday three weeks from now. That's just not how it works. Like if you if you do that, you're going to end up with bad weather. You plan to be in the area and then, you know, if there's good weather, you go up above treeline. If there's not, you do something below treeline where like the density of the forest is such that you don't feel that wind at all. Or, you know, maybe you do a little, but it's not, it's not a, a major issue. All right. Uh, here's, I, sorry, Ben, I'm going to diverge for a second. Have you ever raced the big hill, the Mount Washington road race? I have never done the big, the, the Mount Washington road race. Really? I know a lot of people that have. You know me, I've done it a few times. So, yeah, classic, super classic race. I mean, it's, it's a road race. So people say, oh, whatever, road race. Yeah, right. I mean, people have met their match on the big hill because it has prize money. You know, unlike the other trail races, which always, you know, supposed to do it for the love of the sport, they've always paid prize money. They, they really get after it. And so fast road runners that show up there and say, hey, I'm going to poach this. This is a piece of cake. Doesn't happen, does it? Yeah, I mean it's it's the uh, it's a sport for the the very capable uphill mountain runner. I mean, I think <laughs> Joe Gray, Sage Canada, these guys have like are you know some of the few people that have gone under an hour on an eight mile race. Like this is a road race <laughs> that is eight miles, and going under an hour means that you're like a world class athlete. <laughs> it totally does. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's I think it's five thousand feet of gain approximately, something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, the, the record is still held by Jono, Jonathan Wyatt. I'm pretty sure. I'm, I'm no, sorry, I'm doing this by memory, but that's my record. I'm not sure. I'm not. Uh, I'm not up to date on the uh, the road race uh, facts. Well, we're setting the stage for the Prezi Traverse. Mount Washington has had 161 fatalities. That's kind of a lot for a 6,000 foot high mountain. And this is not usually not people falling. This is hypothermia, isn't it? Yeah. So a lot of it, I think, is people getting caught out in storms, whiteout conditions. They can't see where they're going. They have to shelter in place and, you know, they get hypothermia and slowly succumb. I think avalanches have been a major cause also right off the, I mean, the summit itself is pretty close to 30 degrees so you can get some avalanches up there but it's not super common a bit a bit lower you get uh into tuckerman ravine which is an extremely popular skiing area through the winter and spring and that gets up to you know prime avalanche uh angles the winds cause i think that the, the i do a little bit of backcountry skiing so i've sort of gotten into some of this but uh the the major thing there is just the winds cause these wind slabs that are just you know all through the winter you have to sort of be aware of what's going on and uh 
there's actually a uh, avalanche center mount mount washington avalanche center is provides super good forecasts for the area and super good analysis so if anybody's interested in that i would encourage them to you know go learn about things from people that are far far more educated about this than i am well thank you for indulging me here ben you know all this uh but some other people might think Mountains are 4,000 foot high. So what? Who cares? Big deal. So we had to kind of set a little context here. Earlier, I mentioned how competitive the New England scene is. So I'm looking at the presidential traverse. I'm just uh, the ladies, exact same thing. Super competitive here. But I'm just going to look at the guys. And here's, you know, Jan Welford. Four hours, 59 minutes. Next guy, 56 minutes. Next one, 50 minutes, right? Then Jan goes back for with thir- four hours, 35 minutes. Then next guy, oh, it's Ben Nephew again. Uh, f- from 4.35 to 4.34, then 4.29, 4.27. And it's kind of the same guys, you know, like a few guys trading it back and forth. Someone lowers the bar. The next guy gets more serious and throws down. And, you know, three minutes is a long time in the presidential traverse. Yeah. I mean, I think there's there's then sort of a big step where you go from like, this 4.30-ish time to, uh, I think, Ryan Atkins ran like 4.09 or something, and then uh, Lee ran like 4.05, and then Jordan comes along uh, 2019 and runs 3.42. So the, the, it sort of took this, this step from being, I don't know, ex- very competitive to just like times that people were sort of wondering like how is – how did he do that? <laughs> I mean, uh, I think it's just uh, the same thing we see all through trail running. There's, you know, more and more talent in the sport. People are learning how to train for these things better. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I don't know. It, it's just, it gets a little bit more competitive every year and it's kind of fun. Well, Speaking of how did he do that, then there's you. And you did something a little different just a few weeks ago. On yeah. March 23rd, you had the fastest overall time, but you did it completely differently. So uh, fill us in. What did you do? So I'd been thinking about this for a few years. Uh Inspired by one particular day where I was running above treeline in the Prezies, uh, and just it was perfect. It was like I could run, you know, like I would on a sidewalk. It was the the snow was so perfectly packed in the winter, you know, uh, just sort of the spring freeze thaw that makes a a hard surface. And I was there before it warmed up for the day. And, you know, I could go wherever I wanted. It wasn't like I had to stay on trail. I could, you know, wander a mile uh, across the ridge and, like, check things out. And uh, and I wasn't sinking in at all. I was just, it sort of felt super free and beautiful and, like, extremely weird and different. Like, this is not how it normally is. But at the same time, it made me think, wow, 
this route could be really fast in the right winter conditions. And so sort of since then, I've ever, I've always had it in the back of my mind that I wanted to try this. And finally this year, um, I sort of decided that I would actually go, go do it. Um, and so I, uh, like I was saying, I sort of put in a training block, tried to get in good mountain shape, doing lots of uphill running and stuff. Uh, but also just watching the weather a lot, trying to find this, this day. And I mean, January, February, I don't think it's likely to happen. Just it's not warm enough. You don't get the freeze thaw. And I think that's what makes it possible. And so when I saw this block of like four or five days where we got this consistent uh, below freezing nights, days in the 40s or 50s, um, Mount Washington Summit was actually days in the 30s because it doesn't get very warm up there. But that's sort of everything's colder up there. Um, but yeah, I, I saw that and I was like, wow, I'm going to go for it. The funny thing is that I'd actually, I, if we back up a step, I had tried once before two weeks earlier because I thought I had, you know, I thought it was going to be good conditions. Uh, I think it was, but I started too late in the day and it got too soft from the sun. And so the second half of the route, I just started sinking in, you know, ankles, knees, even deeper by the end. Um, Listen, yeah, so but the basic, the basic idea here was just... Uh, let's see what what is achievable in the winter on the Prezi Traverse. Right. Well, that's a clever tactic. Very clever tactic. So we often get people asking for a winter variation. And normally that's because it's going to be slow. And they want an FKT. So they do it in the winter. They go slower. They get an FKT. And we generally say, no, just do it when it's the fastest. And also, if that was how it worked, then people just wait for a really mild winter. So it was like summer, like dry conditions, but you reversed this. Very interesting. So you felt that it was faster with a snowpack because then you weren't on the rough terrain. Very interesting. And indeed you write up. So people should go onto the website. You have a very good write up for uh, and the show notes. We'll have a link to it. You said on the tip number one, like you just said, breakable crust, impossible to run at all. Winter 2021 attempt number two, post tolling for the second half, couldn't run very fast. Winter 2021 attempt number three, solid, supportive trail, run like the wind. That sounds about right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we've mentioned that trails are technical. I think the Prezi's sort of topped that list. It's just a boulder field. I mean, it. Uh, it's, you know, depending on where you are, it's car-sized boulders to, you know, desk to like, I don't know, uh, smaller. But it's just, it's just a mess and you can't move quickly. Right. Uh, yeah, well, 18 miles, taking people four hours, so good runners. Um, let's talk about gear. Yeah. Okay. So I think you use trekking poles, is that right? Yeah, so in the summer out here, I don't find them useful just because the terrain's so jumbled that like the extra sort of mental effort and physical effort of placing the poles is more than they're worth. In the winter, uh, I sort of had to get used to them because I'm not used to them, but super helpful. Um, 
I got into this like double pulling rhythm that was just, I feel like, uh, added some extra boost uphill. Right. To use like a black time and carbon ultra distance pole or one of those. Yeah, exactly. It's like, mm-hmm. one, it's the Z folding one. Right. By the way, in Europe, to do this without poles would be considered very weird. So it's kind of interesting how poles are still catching on here. But in Europe, almost all mountain runners also are skiers. So poles come very natural to them. And as you just noted, they get a lot of power. Poles aren't exactly used for balance in Europe. They're used for forward propulsion. That's what I was using them for entirely. Downhills, I just held them in my hands and ignored them. (laughs) Okay. Good work, Ben. I am appreciating your style here. I'm liking <laughs> you. You innovated. You changed the game, maybe. And you also said lightweight spikes help a lot, but that doesn't mean you use micros, Catula micro spikes. You did something else. Yeah. So if you take a pair of Catula micro spikes and weigh them, the pair weighs almost as much as a pair of shoes, depending on the pair of shoes. Yep. That's going to slow you down uphill a lot. Like, 300 400 grams on your feet so i actually took there's uh there's this uh brand of micro spikes that's sort of marketed for ultralight i think it's nortec trail micro they're like austrian company i think maybe italian anyways they're they're sort of half the weight of micro spikes but i figured oh we can do better than that and i actually removed the the silicone straps and the chains and took the plate, the little spike plates themselves, and just screwed those straight into the bottom of my shoes. And so that gets you down. I know this this might sound insane, but this gets you down to like 35 grams per shoe, which I can, I at least I feel like I can feel the difference when I'm running uphill with those on. It's like, oh, I'm, you know, a few percent faster. And yeah. I mean, I think that that's part of the the, the thing with this the idea of running this route in the winter, you have to be still fast enough on the uphills. Like winter is going to be slower on the uphills. I think inevitably, like if I, if I guessed based on my fitness, I was maybe four or 5% slower on the uphills than I would have been in the summer. But you make that up on the downhills. But if you're, you know, 10% slower on the uphills, well, it's not going to work out. Right. 35 grams, a little over an ounce. So that's a good move. And again, I appreciate this. This is classic FKT action where you innovate. You know, you're not out there just, it's not just a cardiovascular test. You're having to learn about nature, understand the local conditions and use tactics and strategy, which is totally fair in case anyone listening is wondering. Yes, this is totally fair not to cheat, not to game the system, not to take shortcuts, but to learn the route and use what works best on the route. I think it's part of the FKT ethos. Yeah. I mean, I, I like that. It's, it's, uh, if we wanted to just get a pure test of physical fitness, we'd just put everybody on a treadmill. Right. <laughs> That's right. Or a perfectly flat racetrack and run laps. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that worked well. Poles, super lightweight spikes. And by the way, Frank Shorter, which other people don't know this, but he used to take a utility knife 
You know, he won 1972 in Munich and finished second at the marathon in 1976 in Montreal. He used to take a utility knife and shave the excess EVA off his running shoe. Oh, that's awesome. Probably one to two grams. That's so, awesome. Yeah. I, you know. I did not go that far. I did not shave the extra lugs off the bottom of my shoes because they were, you know, lugged trail shoes. And, you know, that, that would cut a few grams off. I'll, <laughs> I'll give you that. Right. So there, there is room for people to take it a little further. <laughs> There's always room to take it further, isn't there? Not recommending they do that, but you can always take it a little further. Uh, I think people laugh at my, I, I, I backpack, I go pretty light. I, I sawed my toothbrush in half. So there's, you know, you can take it to various places. What you haven't you haven't moved to using a pine cone yet? <laughs> I have not. I'm a, I'm an old soft guy, Ben. So, I'm well, still... I, I think the the spruce cones are particularly good for this. They're just kind of a little smoother on the outside. Okay, good call. I'm, I'll... I'm totally joking. I've never tried this, but all right, okay. Well, I look forward to. You... Uh, maybe giving that a try in the Grand Canyon. Peter and I will be in the Grand Canyon in another two weeks. Um, but now here's something that interesting that happened with this. So again, just to recap, you used a different technique that maybe people thought of, maybe they had not, uh, going in the winter, not because it was slower and you can get a winter variation FKT, but because it was faster, you could get an overall FKT and using very appropriate gear. However, we ended up flagging it, unfortunately. And so we ended up spending hours on this. And it's like the Ben Thompson rule now, where we had to clarify the whole thing. I mean, it's like this will be the Ben Thompson rule, which is winter is great. And going on top of the snow is great. If that's faster, do that. But the, the tricky thing is you still have to follow the route, the whole line, which can be difficult if you can't see the trail. And so that was our little issue when you did it is entirely inadvertently. We we think that you didn't follow the trail, not intentionally at all, but just because you couldn't see it. So that's an interesting little distinction to make. I feel like you might be being too nice to me. I definitely intentionally left the trail going up Mount Washington. I mean, uh, the the trail sort of goes around like a little bit if you're coming up from the the southwest it goes around to the left i took a straight line because winter you uh, i mean one of the things in the in the whites in the summer you uh definitely are not supposed to go off trail um the the amount of this sort of above tree line terrain is very small so we want to protect that alpine vegetation there's some very unique plants up there that you don't find anywhere within 500 miles um but in the winter that's all covered up in snow so it's you know conventional and like ethical to go wherever you want so i just took a straight line and i was sort of i came into this sort of you know okay maybe uh i i had back of in the back of my mind that maybe this would invalidate the fkt attempt and i was sort of okay with that because i just wanted to run a really fast prezi and sort of at least in my mind, it's it's still a prezi if you just go up Mount Washington whichever way you want. And that so that's what I did. I went straight up. I actually think it wasn't any faster. It was shorter, probably by, you know, 
a tenth or maybe a little bit even more of a mile but the snow conditions were sufficiently worse like on the on the trail where the trail goes i think there were three or four sets of tracks maybe a few more and so i would probably would have had a little bit firmer trail conditions it also got that the the route that the trail takes up the mountain uh is a little bit shallower grade and in this particular case i think just the steepness of the grade uh made it a little bit slower and i was kind of struggling a little bit in one section so uh i mentioned before that i ran this route two weeks before i actually looked at my splits on that one versus this uh the second attempt that was a bit faster overall and the the splits were extremely similar but actually the first attempt in worse snow conditions was actually 30 seconds faster because i did stay uh precisely on the on the summer trail darn so you didn't get yeah, any so, time at all no I, but i i did take a straight line which was sort of it's sort of fun <laughs> well let's call attention to this this is in my mind very interesting when often get asked by media who thrives on controversy right look at national american politics it's just a bloody nightmare and sometimes i think they like it because it gives them something nasty to write about. And so the same people, the journalist will interview me for an article and they're always asking about controversy. Mm. And I said, well, actually there hardly is any, <laughs> you know, we're a community and we just, this isn't really what we do. And I think you are an excellent example of that. Like right now, I would, maybe I was being too nice to you. You said you, you, advertently did take a slightly shorter line you were completely honest about it you were up front you described it in your trip report as it turned out it might not have saved you any time at all but because the prezi is a premier route we only have 10 premier routes in the world we it's so competitive that we felt we have to require people to either stay on the trail in the summer or follow as close to it as practical in the winter in order to create a level playing field, right? You kind of have yeah, that to- that totally makes sense. I think yeah, you have to kind of go to a race level playing field there because you guys are just throwing down. You're running your guts out. And so you, we wanted to come out an equal challenge. And then when we discussed this with you, you were just said, yeah, I'm totally fine with that. Let's, you were totally cooperative. I think I think it's nice also from my perspective to have a very very clear set of guidelines for the future because I think this has sort of come up a couple times in the past with the Prezi FKT where people have run a route that was slightly different or you know took a different trail in one section and you know it's uh if you went and like asked your friend like is this a prezi traverse they'd go oh yeah of course it is but like for the FK fkt as you're saying we have to sort of try to be a little more precise right that's exactly what it is uh when you're seeing these times come down by just mere minutes at a time and people are doing race level preparation tapering and then this is you know what they're doing that month this is their main goal we have to have that really careful guidelines and level playing field and you ben thompson have helped us do that and uh for people who are listening please go on the website look up the presidential traverse look in the comments section this big long discussion 
And note that the entire discussion is very well-mannered, very logical, very friendly. So I really appreciate you. I really appreciate Jordan. Yeah, I have to thank uh, Jack Quenzel and Jordan Fields also for participating in that. I think they were helped uh, helped resolve it nicely. Um, yeah. yeah. Jack is one of our regional editors. Good oh, wow. call out to Jack. And... Uh, Ryan Williams, another regional editor, and they were very active participation. And everyone just cooperated to reach a good solution. So sorry to keep repeating this, but gosh, we could use a little more cooperation, couldn't we? And hey, I got an FKT out of it anyways, because we decided to split the route into the southbound and northbound uh, variations. And my uh, my attempt from two weeks before was... Uh, turns out to be the northbound FKT. That's exactly right. We split it. <laughs> um, and that's, a, that's a good example. So in case listeners are wondering how that works, we made a decision about six months ago that any point-to-point route, we will automatically make a variation to go in the other direction because what the heck, might as well do that. And the Prezi tended to be done southbound, but then why not make a northbound because – Gosh, I mean, it's so competitive. Might as well give you folks a little more opportunity. Yeah, another category. I think they're probably very similar in in sort of overall time in the summer because going southbound, I think most people that are, you know, they're going to go do the Prezi and they're going to hike it and like this is their really tough hike of the month. They go southbound because you get the hard part out of the way early. Like you get this big 4,000 foot climb and then you get the most, the roughest terrain over uh, Mount Madison, Adams and Jefferson. And then it's sort of a a more gentle walk for the second half. But uh, going northbound, you of course get hit with that hard stuff at the end. And you also get much steeper downhills, which is going to slow you down a lot on these, on this rough terrain. So in sort of summer conditions, I'm not actually convinced either one is any faster. It would be really, it would be a hard problem to answer. (laughs) Well, with time, we can look at the FKTs and we can get a statistical analysis, couldn't we? Yeah, yeah, that would be great. I'd love it. (laughs) Uh, Okay, the Ben Thompson rule, you heard it first here. You can do projects in winter. You can run on top of the snow if you think that is faster, but you do have to follow basically the same line. You can't cut the course in the winter because otherwise then it isn't fair. So good job innovating that one, Ben. I appreciate that. Thank Thanks, you. Buzz. What's next, Ben? Of course, I think that, that those snow conditions are generally gone. So are you shifting into summer gear now? Yeah. I think uh, I also um, I'm going to stick close to home and maybe not not go in the mountains for as much for a, a month or two, and uh, I might try out a, actually something quite different. I want to train for a fast mile. Wow. I actually did this for a like two or three month block last summer, and I think it was one of my uh, most effective little uh, sort of training excursions in quite a while. Just because, you know, we train for all these mountain things, all these ultras and stuff, and we get this really sort of long, slow grind, like, get good at that, but forget about the speed. And it turns out that 
I think it just, I mean, I don't think I could have done this Prezi without actually uh, building a little bit more speed last year. What is your mile goal, if I may ask? Ooh, I don't know if I have a goal. My brother convinced me to focus on process instead of goals, and I kind of like that. I but, uh, he's, that's, a, that's a good idea, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's a good idea. It's it's smart. It's maybe not not quite as flashy, but uh, I'm not I am not fast in that sense. Uh, at least compared to some of the people I'm trying to run run against. Sometimes uh, last year, last year I managed to push it down a little bit below five minutes to like four fifty two. So I'll try to beat that this year. You can, you should, I, I it, it went in 1968, I did a 438. So I think you can do uh, a 438 also, Ben. I think, I think that would be a nice goal. I think I, I have, you know, three miles, three, three months of mile training in the legs. So I think I have some low hanging fruit, which is part of why I'm interested in doing it. And you can uh, get back to work. Uh, uh, don't lose too much time at work training for the mile. Yeah, well, that that's another thing. You know, going up to the mountains, it's just a big... Uh, it takes up a day or something. And I'd like to get some, some solid work done over the next month or two. Good job, Ben. I appreciate what you've done. And keep up the good work. I, I'm sure we're going to hear from you again. I would love to chat again, Buzz. This has been great. Thank you.